the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Moonchild Sinelli. Now, you know who Moonchild is. Like, I don't need to tell you. <laughs> I don't need to tell you right. Please tell me I don't need to tell you who fucking Moonchild is. That's, that's embarrassing. Don't, don't let anyone else know that you don't know who Moonchild is. If you're the one person listening to this who doesn't. But yeah, this is a conversation I've wanted to have for a very, very long time. Uh, probably even before started the podcast, to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever interviewed Moonchild. I think I wanted to, or I tried to a few years ago when we booked it for Zakifa, and I'm not sure if it happened. I think I was trying to start a podcast around that time. I don't know. I've done a lot of things, okay? But we're finally, finally having the almost perfect podcast with Moonchild. And I'll be honest with you, there were a few little hiccups because my computer just keeps on wanting to fucking restart for no goddamn reason. I don't know why. I haven't been able to figure it out. It was just started happening whilst we were recording. So there's a couple little like parts where it'll be a little glitchy and I'm sorry. And I know I've got a tough edit ahead of me after this. And yeah, I'm speaking to you before I edit the podcast for once because I need to get going again. Um, those of you, actually, I'll talk about this just now. But basically, yeah, I've been staying at my grand and grandfather's place for the last little while, and I'll get into why just now. But basically, I'm speaking to him before the edit, and it's going to be an interesting task, especially because we spoke a lot about sex, um, which is a topic that's come up quite a bit on this podcast of late, especially this year, and it might be slightly intentional. And I won't lie, I get a little fucking awkward and maybe a little bit too honest in this conversation. But fuck it, like Moonchild shares so much and is so open and so honest. So I figure, yeah, I probably should do the same. And we get into a lot of interesting topics, not just sex, but yeah, her early days, her growing up, how her mom instilled so much of who she is in her and made her a true original we obviously talk about working with Beyonce, how that came about, what it means to her, all of those things. So this is quite a wonderful conversation, and I'm so happy that we got to have it, even if it is not the most perfect, almost perfect episode. But hey, it would like I fucking knew when I called this podcast the almost perfect podcast that I'd always be able to just cop out whenever things fuck up, and I can just say, "Hey, man, I never told you this thing was going to be perfect." So. It ain't, and especially not this time around, but it is a fantastic conversation, and there's, yeah, a lot of uninterrupted parts. Don't worry, it's like two breaks, basically, so nothing too hectic. Uh, but speaking of hectic, you can skip ahead, uh, I don't know, probably about five minutes if you don't want to hear about cancer and death and things like that. So this, consider that a trigger warning, I guess. Uh, because, yeah, the last, if you listened to the last episode of the podcast, you would know that I've been staying with my grand and grandfather because my grandfather, my grand got hit by a car, um, and my grandfather has cancer. He's had skin cancer for about 20 years and is in the late stages now. And 
yeah, so I've been staying at their place, helping them out with food and cleaning and various different things. And unfortunately, my gran landed up actually having to go to hospital on Thursday. I had been telling her to go to the doctor since the Monday. This was last week. Um, <laughs> but she didn't listen to me. And then, yeah, landed up going to the doctor on Thursday. And he was like, yo, you need to go to the fucking hospital. Because her leg had got infected. And it turns out she had a blood clot under the bruising, which could have caused major issues if it had moved up uh, further. So she was in hospital for four days, which left me alone with my grandfather, who, okay, he's not actually my grandfather, which is what's weird. Um, he's not a blood relative. He's my grand's partner of my entire life, probably about 40 years at least. I don't know. They've been together forever. Um, but yeah, he's not a blood relative of mine, and he was never exactly close or we don't have a relationship, you know? Um, but now I've found myself looking after him on my own and having to do some things that never thought I would ever have to do, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Just, yeah, I'm not going to get into the gory details, but needless to say, bodily functions and, yeah, things like that <laughs> were involved and not... Not memories I want to hold on to for too long, I'll be honest with you. But yeah, it's been a rough weekend, but thankfully my gran is back now um, at home. Uh, she came back on Monday. I'm chatting to you on the Wednesday. I'm doing this back at my place. I quickly came home just to be able to do this on the computer, which decided to fucking restart multiple times during our conversation and might do it during this fucking recording. Uh, but yeah, so it's been like, it didn't get better after I left you guys last week. It definitely got worse and things have been rough and started to get to me a little bit. And so if you follow me on social media, you might know how I decided to channel my frustrations. I have been having a go at one David Scott who calls himself the Kiffness, which just is fucking incorrect. So, for that alone, I've been mildly frustrated by the dude for a long time and just been like, I don't fuck with this dude. And I interviewed him once for Durban Is Yours because I try to like understand his vibe and he seemed like a fairly harmless dude. But now that he's just posting the wackest of whack shit and, you know, I've been feeling a little angsty, I decided to make some memes of Mr. David Scott's and uh, put those out on the internet and I've been having some fun with that and so have a lot of you so to those of you who have shared it and liked it and messaged me or commented saying thank you because I feel the same way well thank you because I didn't know so many people felt the same fucking way and so that's quite cool that's quite a cool thing to know that I'm not alone in my thoughts and opinions when it comes to ladder and yeah there'll be a few more memes coming out and i might uh i might might i don't know we'll see i might have a song coming out this will be the second song that bob perfect has ever been on the first one of course being with Jaden daniel's uh debut album which you should go listen to it's got a little stand-up comedy bit of mine that i did via whatsapp and 
Jaden made it sound like it was in front of people. So shout outs to Jaden and shout outs to that album and go listen to that episode of the podcast if you haven't yet. And yeah, cool. So that's, <laughs> that's some things that are going on in my life. And yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I'm grateful I get to do this. Truly fucking grateful I get to do this. Like partially so that I could just have a break from being in that house because I'm not going to lie to you, it is difficult to deal with someone who is dying. And I know some of you listening to this have gone through it. And it's, like I said last week, it's different for everyone. You know, the situation's always different. But yeah, I <laughs> I had no idea just how tiring it can be. And yeah, it's been wonderful to have this conversation and to do this and to be able to have some fun on the internet and just have a few laughs and just, yeah, be be a part of a community whilst I'm still helping, you know, my grandparents and not really being able to be a part of the world. And that's one of the wonderful things about this whole thing. So, yeah, thank you for listening to this. Thank you for interacting and having fun with me and just being a part of all of this. I really fucking... <laughs> do appreciate it. I know I'm not like the biggest O or anything and it's partially by design because I'm constantly having a go at famous as fuck people and, you know, just destroying all my relationships with every brand out there constantly. So that people fuck with me and that people fuck with this podcast and yeah, that's, it, it fucking helps at this time. I'll tell you that much. And it's, been fucking cool to see yeah a few people have signed up to the patreon and i am going to talk about it this week because i want to and need to because i haven't really been able to do much work at the moment uh but yeah we have a patreon account it's patreon.com forward slash almost perfect and that's the place you can go to support this podcast if you enjoy what you hear today if you enjoy what you've heard before if you're going to enjoy what you hear in the coming weeks well, you can preempt that by going to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect and throwing a few shekels into the bucket and helping keep uh, the computer fucking running. God, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, the Patreon, there's a few different levels there. There's $1, $5, $10. I can't remember what each one gives you right now and that's terrible of me for the sales pitch. But what I will say is if you sign up, you're going to get stickers, man. That's straight up. Whatever level you're at, I'm going to be, as soon as the stickers are printed, which will be as soon as the money from this last month's Patreon <laughs> clears, and then I can get those stickers, I'm going to send those out to patrons for free, obviously. So you can expect a nice little treat in the inbox, in your real inbox, in your mailbox, baby. Uh, so yeah, that's coming your way if you're a patron. So go, go sign up if you want stickers. And one of the other things we have is the titular titles tier. Now, this is a $10 tier where you get to pick your title on the Almost Perfect podcast. You get to become a part of the cast and crew right here at Almost Perfect Media. Um, and it's kind of like an internship where you have to pay to be a part of it because this is hella exclusive. This is not... This is not one of those things where you get paid. Like, you get paid in the information that comes out on the podcast. That's it's an exchange of goods and services, essentially. So we've got a couple people who are at this tier, and they're, yeah, they're wonderful people. I'm super grateful for everything. And, yeah, man, we've got a new person on, and we're going to shout him out. It's Tyron Love. 
Now, Tara in Love is actually someone who's, I've got his comics in my cupboard and I don't think he knows that, but I've actually got a couple Lonely Schnoz comics in my cupboard. So Tyron, thank you for signing up to the Patreon. I think maybe we should have a conversation sometime because I've enjoyed your cartoons um, over the, well, yeah, your comics over the years. I remember buying them from, I think, Will Edgecombe outside the Winston years ago. So Tyron has come on board as our pantsless weasel, uh, which is what Dilbert once called um, an SEO person. <laughs> what? I don't even know the proper terminology. But yeah, Tyron now works in SEO and he is our resident pantsless weasel. So thank you very much, Tyron, for coming on board. Shout outs to Vishendra Naidu, who is our spiritual advisor and you're been super helpful this year, I'll tell you that much. Even though I'm not like really on that woo-woo shit, like being like the Zen, if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've been on board with like some Zen stuff. And yeah, lately that's been fucking helpful. Not gonna lie, definitely cool to, you know, be able to just be like, yo, this is just a moment. You can pass through it. Various different things, you know, I'm telling myself just to get through some pretty gross shit. Um, yeah, then we've also got the executive producer. This is Stephen Olafier. We have got King Julian, and we have got the chief sales officer of Subtle Heresies in the greater Oberberg region, Rousseau. So shout outs to all of you. Greatly appreciate your support. And shout outs to Tim Edwards, who is also the newest patron over on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. So thank you very much. I do, as I say, like probably like 30 times, like in the last like minute. I fucking appreciate it. It's super, super helpful. And yeah, you're going to get some stickers as a thank you. Um, that's basically all I need to say. Oh, yes. Uh, I've got mugs. I've still got a couple mugs. They are 100 rand each and 10 rand from each sale goes to Sasonke. Now, Sasonke is an organization that is working to decriminalize sex work in South Africa and also support sex workers in various sex workers in various different ways. So, yeah, if you buy a mug from me, 10 rand goes to them but you can also just go donate to them at sasonke.org.za. And with that out the way, without further ado, here comes the Almost Perfect Podcast with Moonchild Sinelli. How are you living, Moonchild? I'm living amazing, Bob. How are you doing? <laughs> I am much better now that I'm talking to you. I have been a little bit nervous today. I'm not going to lie, though. This one, is, this one feels like quite a big one for me. I don't be nervous. I was, and, and also because we're not doing um, video, how would you? How would it be if it, was, if it was video? Would it be worse? I don't know. Like I think people would see just how awkward I can get if it was on video. <laughs> oh, Harry's, let's get it. Don't even panic. I'm out here. Yeah, I can just maintain some sense of cool and calm mm -hmm. uh, through through audio. <laughs> but yeah, you've had quite a wild ride. We'll start. I guess mm -hmm. we can start with this year. Yeah. Like. I was joking with my girlfriend last night that I'm basically one degree from Beyonce. You know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I am now one degree from Beyonce, <laughs> thanks to you. You're welcome. So, so how did that come about? How did that whole thing come about? Because I know it was like a secret for like over a year and everything yeah. like that. So yeah, how, how did, did working with Beyonce come about? 
Oh my God. So the craze, um, so initially um, it was global citizen. I think that's what started everything. Global citizen, she was okay. booked and she was coming here. So I remember there was a point where they had a private party, the Beyonce team, the whole team. They had a private party. Um, I met the managers. I met the people that directed. I met everyone, the dancers. And I was performing just to entertain for the night. Da, 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 da. Um, which was a great one because I mean, I was performing to that team, you know. After meeting them, I remember co- the co-director, Kwesi, who's now become a good friend of mine. He got introduced to me and he told me that um, funny thing is that when he was still in America and was asking about which artists should he link up with in South Africa, all the people that he trusted suggested me as the, like, I'll basically be him the top suggestion. So when he came here, he definitely, like, knew my name, had done his research, and also just had had people that he trusts suggesting me as the, I guess, person to link up with an essay especially musically now i didn't even know what project this was going to be all i know is that when i was going to now have the meeting with it's such a long story you'll tell me when to shorten it bob so um (laughs) (laughs) no like i want to hear the whole story because this is this is also for people who are trying to get to where you are you know that's what this podcast is a bit about so (laughs) these all the all the details help Okay, perfect. Because I always have to like shorten it. Okay, I'm happy. So then from there, <laughs> I remember um, we set up a meeting with me and Kwesi. And he's basically like Beyonce's eyes, period. Like he does the research, the strategies, hmm. all that jazz. So we met up. As I got to the meeting, his kid calls me and I had to go do a song with him. So I left with Kwesi. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I left with Kwesi. <laughs> You like my life is casual now. <laughs> so like, um, so we went with him. So he got to see me at work. I still, by, mind you, I still don't know what he's wanting me for specifically. I just know who he works with and for. So then, um, we did that. I recorded, and I, we never got to sit down. So what ended up happening was on the weekends. Then we started. I started taking him around to different South African music um, live spots where it was people I loved listening to, or if there was a live show that's happening in a club, then I just invited him to come and check it out. So it was a very like open process as well because I, I I didn't know, but I just knew I was involved. Right from then onwards, I remember. Um, when I was playing... Oh, so we started sending stuff. There's a time where I was at Diplo's house um, recording with him in LA. And Beyonce's team calls on some... I'm they called Diplo. I'm going to huh? keep laughing here. This was, <laughs> this was hilarious to me. No, was, I, ah, I was with Diplo. I was with WizKid. Like, I still remember you at the Winston. This was so funny oh my to God. me. And but sorry, like, carry on. I know, Bob. It's like so... Oh, my God. Look, we're here now. Hey? It's crazy because um, yeah. after that, it was... Um, Oh, so, so um, Diplo comes into the, the studio. He's like, Beyonce's team just called. They know you're here. They want a song. So I'm like, okay, cool, great. Um, we started recording some more stuff because I, I, I landed, I went, I went to LA for that week to record with him. Then um, from there, I came back to SA because I signed a contract with a sweet thing. So I had to fly back to LA after a week to go finish what I was doing because we were doing Coachella now and I was doing it with Diplo. So this conversation with Beyonce is definitely happening. I don't know full details, but I know I'm sending like melodies. I'm sending music. I'm sending stuff that is very me. And but then, you hadn't really been speaking with her yet. Uh, uh-uh, not yet. I'm speaking to her eyes, the closest okay. person to her in her team with regards to how they move, how do they strategize, how to how to do direct. She co- he even co- co-directed the movie with with her. So the research and all that jazz. So I was um so with Quasi. So when they did that, we went to play Coachella and at Coachella because Beyonce was launching that brand she just collaborated with the first time. It was after Coachella, so we played 2019. So after also when we played the Sunday at Coachella, 
her co-director finds me and he's like oh my god because he heard someone play my music and he went looking he's like you have to be here i know you're here then he found me he's like oh by the way this is for a project still not full details but on some like we're watching you we know we're ready we're going we're going wild um this is the only detail i'm giving you now don't tell anyone so even the people i was with at coachella with my excitement of that weekend i didn't tell them at all and the crazy how are you feeling about that because it's like it's now real before that you're sending stuff it's like oh maybe and yeah. you know like you're still you still don't know if it's going to be a if real thing but now you're told at Coachella mm-hmm. that this is now happening do you know what from the moment I knew I had access there I gave it my all not knowing what could come of it or not it was just the fact that I know Beyonce knows me she knows my stuff and we're dealing with music let me give it my everything so before all the detail it was enough detail to know it was Beyonce because this is someone I've written as one of the top 10 people in in, in, in my music career. I mean, in, in in its existence, having to have collaborations with them, not even just, you know, but it was my 10-year plan. So it's it was crazy. Just knowing that she knows and I'm doing something with them, I gave it my all, like my everything. So with every detail that came, I just gave it more and more and more and more and more. So I kept quiet. I continued with my tour. And I remember um, once I was in London, um, they called me saying, okay, cause, so now um, I'm doing ad-libs for different songs, right? I don't even know which song I'm going to be on. I've, I'm, I've, I, I based, some songs made it to the album, some songs didn't, but I was doing ad-libs and stuff like that to a point where when they play from the album, I still sing them the way I had them in studio because I know them that way. But I didn't know. So when, it, when, it, I, when in London, basically, they sent me the last song to record, which was My Power. And uh, no, it was the second last song, My Power. I landed in SA, went straight to studio because it was emergency things now. I went back to studio and then as soon as I was done, sent everything, then got more music. Recorded, recorded, sent everything and waited. But I mean, obviously my team's doing their things, her team is doing their things, but with regards to me and just the product, we're just pushing, I'm pushing, 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 pushing and hoping for the best period. So, um, and then there was Black is King. That must have been incredibly validating for you, obviously, but you've always kind of known, like from what I know about you, you've always had this vibe to you that you were going to work. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. just, oh, it would be nice to work with them. It was like, no, I'm going to work with them. Yes, absolutely. I don't know. Um, I feel like, I don't, I actually don't know. I just know that I'm special. I know that everything is possible. And the more I achieve, the more I know. And I think like from Durban, there's a lot of things I learned from when um, I remember being pregnant and writing things down and having eaten them by end of day without having any money to then the book, um, The Secret Come Out, I remember. And I was like, I'm already doing this. And then to thinking of, what if I wrote bigger things? Because if I can write, I'm eating custard slice and pizza today and I have them by end of day, not knowing where it's going to come from. And I really know that my words are useful. How about I write bigger things? So I started writing bigger because I knew that in words, there's power. And so I think like my confidence comes from the fact that I have to win a win a win, especially because I ran away from home and I ran because the cause was to win and succeed in what I know I'm great at. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's, 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 I've, I've definitely always believed in myself, even though I've, it's, it's, it's always come, I mean, for a long time, it came with, um, some rejection. It came with misunderstandings. It came with so much where people fear what they don't know, but they won't know it until it's tried and tested. And I wasn't going to do anything according to the formula because I already see myself as a global star. I already see myself as someone who's going to succeed in the world. I mean, before even traveling, I used to say, I want to be that artist who performs at every festival in the world and comes and drinks in a tavern. Until I started experiencing that, I changed my th- I changed my dream. I was like, I want to carry South Africa with me to the world because I am 
a world artist from South Africa. 100%. I love that though, like that you basically manifested what you wanted. But when you were a young girl, like, because you say you ran away from home, if I remember correctly, you're from the Eastern Cape. And Mm -hmm. what was that like? Because were you always a bit of an outsider growing (laughs) up? Yes. Um, when I was in PE, I mean, I was, I was, a, I was like firstly a virgin in school. I was always the youngest in class. I was a virgin in school and I watched a lot of porn. So I knew the terms, but I wasn't interested in sex. I stalked <laughs> boys. I did, um, I was at school and then I was at rehearsal homework. I wasn't domesticated at all. My mom literally just put me on stage and, and school. So I had to pass she didn't give me pressure with A's and things like that because she knew that, I think she knew before I even knew what she already exposed me to was then going to be my home in life period because now it's my safe space. So yes, when I hear people talk about me like from school, because I'd only get into detention for talking, nothing else. Um, I wasn't necessarily loud, but I'd shine at talent shows. I fit in because I made people laugh, but I was different. So I was awkward, but I was funny. So it's like, I could laugh at you, laugh at me too. But, you know, I remember, I think even, oh yeah, one thing, one thing. Do you see that as one of, oh, sorry, I was going to just ask there. Do you see that as like one of your powers, essentially, the ability to laugh at yourself? So it means, because you have faced a lot of criticism, like (laughs) over the years, but you always manage to like, just throw it back in people's faces. So I assume that Uh comes from being young. Absolutely. I come from having to like, um, if I'm misunderstood, I can defend myself. At least I have a channel. So I'm going to win at dance competitions. I'm going to win at whatever that at least I was allowed because I never went to Shabin's. I never was sent to buy cigarettes. My mom literally like sheltered me and she still also didn't teach me how to wash dishes or cook because she wasn't grooming me for a man later in life but she groomed me for myself and being able to and to be able to be independent as a girl child and um I feel like so by the time anyone tells me anything in the world about what they think of me the one person who bred me to be this and the one person I would have done anything in the world for besides not be happy is my mother and she's the one who gave me a blessing so everyone else will fall in line because they literally have to adjust to me because I'm not gonna adjust to them if one thing another thing that always sticks out is when um I remember when I was younger my mom would shout at me for walking behind a group of friends even if you're going to buy sweets like innocent things she'd say you never follow you always are in the line learning what the leader's doing for them to follow you or you're in, in the you're in the front and they're following you but you never follow so I get more scolding for that more than anything I would have done that's wrong but for <laughs> following she would just like no you do not follow so I then grew up as a, re- a rebel I think in general but one that was not I wasn't rebelling against things I wasn't allowed to do. I was rebelling against what everyone thought was cool to do and I would just do my own. But my mom instilled that thing of never following. You don't have to follow. You mustn't follow. Not you don't have to. You must never follow. So without me knowing, I think it's just like one of those things as a kid that you that just get instilled in you. So then I stayed a virgin in school. Everyone was having sex, didn't have the FOMO. Everyone was clubbing. I was at home and in either dance competitions, traveling the country. Or at, so the space she created for me didn't create didn't help me didn't make me have formal for the things that all the other kids would do so i just like i yeah i just go home watch porn if i'm done with rehearsal put my fairy tale <laughs> book and when the girls that engage in sex are asked what is a cock and they don't know and i tell them they think i'm lying because i'm not having sex i'm just like y'all are dumb but it's fine because i can't now explain i'm watching porn you know might be in more trouble so but yeah <laughs> so so obviously well what was the situation there so were you wanting to have sex but were worried because everyone else was doing it that was a thing mm-hmm. that you wouldn't want to do or 
Yeah, how like what was ah. your thinking at that time? It was I don't know if it was a thinking because of something that was instilled by my mom to me. I think I just okay. naturally didn't find things that I it wasn't peer pressure because peer pressure would make make me false or whatever. It wasn't do you know like when you just do things your way because of how you've been brought yeah. up? So it wasn't necessarily a thought process. I just wasn't interested. I thought boys were dumb and I'd get their numbers and stalk them with different accents on the phone. That was my fun. <laughs> so like, do you know what I mean? So it's it's, oh. it's not like I, I said, I'm not going to do this because they're all doing it. I just wasn't interested because it was just like, oh, wow, you guys think this is the coolest because you're all doing it. Um, Smoking, I wasn't interested because... Not everyone was really doing it. I just wasn't interested. So it's like I rebelled with a cause. I didn't rebel without a cause. I didn't just because now they're not drinking, I'm drinking. It wasn't like that. But it was like a rebellious personality, but that had a cause because it wouldn't rebel towards fucked up shit that creates a FOMO that is unnecessary. And maybe because there was never enough time for me to be in the streets to be like the other children, that's what my mom took me away from. So therefore, that already protected me because I already had a channel. I didn't have to go to a shipping or I have to date to to have to spend my time. My time was already occupied. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't bored to try out shit that I I would have if I had time. Nor did I have FOMO because I could have dated at the dance class. So it was like my time was occupied with things that were so much more fun and interesting and were building my personality to become the person I am now. And the thing is, the person you are now is someone who's super open about sex and, mm-hmm. yeah, like, loves sharing that side of things. So mm-hmm. when did that change happen? <laughs> I, I think if I can refer to when I wrote a poem, there's a poem I wrote was, that was called Cloud Nine, and I wrote it after losing my virginity. Um, I lost okay. my virginity after my first year because I wasn't interested in doing it in Durban. So I wasn't interested in doing it to anyone that I'd met in Durban that time. They weren't like it wasn't a, it wasn't uh, relatable. Yeah, so I kept it. I went the first year. I still kept it. I just went back home with it. December holidays, January, I knocked it. Then I went back to to school second year, and then um, I remember being horny and I wrote this poem. But it was after I'd experienced a second person now. So I I was horny, I wrote this poem, and then I was having sex now. So it just got deeper and deeper. And then once I got exposed to the poetry circles. Um, cause I never even necessarily considered my writing, songwriting or poetry. I just wrote and it just went, you know, sure. and, and, and I remember getting exposed to the poetry circles and seeing people's like shock and when with my words and the expression and how open it is, it was like, what the hell? Like, I don't understand, but it's fine. It was fascinating at the same time as it was shocking. So and then I started like, hearing girls' poetry. And if it's about rape, they're crying. If it's about HIV, they, they're infected. If it's this, they're the victim. And I was like, nah, I'm not coming to this party. And this is someone who has gone through sexual abuse from different situations, right, growing up. So it's like, I'm not coming to this pity party. Because this, this is definitely okay. not the only narrative. I remember, I didn't remember it at the time, but only when I started talking about this poem I had written, um, where I dreamt someone was cheating on me and I dumped them because I went through the whole breakup on my own, found out after I'd done, I was done, done, done with them that they were cheating, but I was already done because I, I believed my dream. I wrote this poem where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get someone who's infected, um, pay them to go have sex with him and poke the condoms. So I played the whole story and then I wrote it as a poem. And let me tell you, I got paid that whole year because I started touring with AIDS wise. It was explicit, but it was direct and a real story. Because then later on in life, when I've had to explain that poem, I didn't realize when I wrote it, 
it also came from a reality I knew because in that poem, I'm infecting people and I'm the yeah. one who's just like, you will never forget me. I'm here to infect you, but here, let's go because you think I'm dumb, right? It was that narrative and people cringe, but it's fine because then I got, I remembered um, there was a lady in my in my street. My her, They had a shabin at her house and her mom didn't, I think it was a stepmom or whatever, but she was older, older, even with um, older than me, but she used to come to my house. My mom would just make sure that she takes the ARVs because I think she was infected by someone who was married um, that she slept with. So now I would hear her every single time coming to oh. take her ARVs for my mom to make sure that she's taking them. Um, she'd be talking about how she's off to go infect another married man. That was her life mission. So now, yes, people would cringe at that story, but it's a reality. And I'm just like, not all realities are about women being violated. But there's women who choose to take their being violated and call it power by doing what they do. But moral of the story, this is life and there's so many different narratives. And this narrative is actually a true story as well. We just don't like putting things that are real in the open because we cringe about things that people should be aware of. So, yeah, that's that one. Okay, yeah, sorry for the technical difficulties there. I don't know what's going on with my uh -huh. computer today. The gremlins are affecting it. <laughs> but we were, dis yeah, we were discussing um, your involvement in the Durban poetry scene and your sexual yeah. awakening happening at the same time and how you were discussing pretty controversial topics at the time and uh -huh. what was inspiring that. So do you want to carry on with that story? Yeah, so me, I mean, I mean, I think from even there, the time where I had a whole picture of what I wanted to happen to my ex, I ended up making money from it by touring with like um, this organization that was called AIDS Wise at the time. And um, so we just go around universities with nurses teaching about like the different types of condoms and protection and that poem. So for me, even that was like, it's so scary with people on every day, but like Department of Health is out here taking and snatching it and having me say this poem that is as direct as 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 in as, as the infection is um, and not tiptoeing around it. And so for me, it's like there's been so many different um, points of validation in different parts of my career um, and times, you know. It just gets bigger and better. Even from the early days. Although one of the things that I find kind of interesting is didn't you come to Durban to study fashion? Mm-hmm. I oh, did come to oh, Durban. Okay. <laughs> I did come to Durban to study fashion. And then um I mean from the time I remember my first year, I didn't know much I didn't know people really. My second year, two thousand and six, end of year. I was because in my first year I was arts and design school. And then second um my second year in Durban was first year in fashion. Um and then okay. from there I remember there was a Damlin close to Linear Academy there by the toll gate, by out by that liquor store. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a Damlin there and we used to, used to take the take the bus. So there was some girl who was nice, we got to meet and started talking because we used to see each other in the bus all the time. Then I go to um her school, then I found out there's a school, um there's music students. So then that was that was my access into recording in studio. But so now before getting into that, so I'd spend my time there, like break times and recite. I think this is still this is still in 2006, yeah. Recite, recite, recite. And people would just like come. There'd be more people every break time. And it didn't start as me saying I'm a poet. I was just like reading this shit to the people that were there who I just met. And so I'm, oh yeah, I'm a writer too. And then it started having like a crowd. So I was just like, I cool. People even thought I started at Dumbling at that point. Um, from there, <laughs> started having access to studio with the students. Um, even though it was just like, now it was like now knowing how, what, how to work in studio and all that jazz. So I used the students to get into that. 
never released anything that I recorded there. I'd do their school projects for them. Um, I'd be the voice and dun, 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 dun. So it's like, yeah, yeah. From there, I remember but end of the a, year. But that's a good experience though, you know, like in right? a yeah. professional sense almost. And, and you're making connections. And mm-hmm. so that is essentially like the start of your recording career in a weird way. Really? Actually, I never looked at it that way. That's true. It, that is the start of the recording career. From then onwards, I remember meeting producers. So there was this open mic show that was happening and um, poetry, whatever. So I went, it was Hobonoid. So he invited me because of the dimling sessions we were having now for like almost a year. And then I obviously had to lie, lie to him, say I'm buying fabric. I wanted to audition for radio at the same time. The queue was too long. I chose to run to the open mic. Um, when I got there, <laughs> another validation. So when I got there performing poetry for the first time, that same night, I got um, Sfiso from Gagasi FM. He was like, I need to have you in Poetry Saturdays on, on the radio station. So I was like, oh shit, lit. Sfiso, King Sfiso. Yeah, King Sfiso. So, and funny enough, it took me a year to be able to go to those sessions because my, <laughs> my aunt and uncle didn't allow it. And um, they thought like they associated music to drugs and all that jazz and wanted me to focus on fashion only. So, I, and because I lied about that, so I couldn't even explain how I got to get an interview. Where was I in fashion school doing microphone things, you know? So I ended up, so I had to make a plan to make it to that radio station and I got a job and I worked at a retail store just to get away from home on weekends and go to radio um, and just say I've got a shift. So that was my hustle. So it took me a year to get that job to finally make it to that radio station. Then I started being a regular. So every time I say they stop taking at work, I'm there and I just buy them presents every week just to not ask too many questions. But um <laughs> Yeah, so that was like, yeah, that was my Durban. I mean, I'd always, I'd leave school at like 11 to go find a mic anyway. I think my a, a huge part of my versatility comes from the fact that wherever there was a mic, whatever genre was on that stage, I'd just lie and say, yes, me too, I know how to do it. Then I'd just come up with something <laughs> on the spot, fitting to that, and it would be very convincing. So I spent a lot of my years doing um, freestyles on stage without having a set, you know. So... Uh, yeah, it was crazy, man. So fashion and 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 music. I couldn't. I didn't want to choose. I'd take whatever I need to take. Go home. Go find a mic. Perform. Go home. Don't sleep. Do all the schoolwork. Go back to school. Submit. Go leave school at eleven. Find out where the next mic is, and all that jazz. So yeah, my Durban. So you've you've always had that spirit of just doing everything. Because I was actually going to ask <laughs> you. Because look, just looking at your timeline over this mm-hmm. year, you've probably released like seven hundred songs or something. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I don't know how you found the time and how you managed to like collab with so many different people and mm-hmm. just yeah, like manage to do all these things. But it seems like you've just always been that way. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, um, every time they ask me those questions, like, what would you tell your 16-year-old self? I tell them, and I'm like, I tell them, you're fine, girl, you can definitely do it all. Because every single time when I was younger, they thought I wouldn't be able to. But I believed I would. They'd be like, oh, you're so overbearing, all these things. And these are adults who've had experience. These are people that think I'm dreaming too much because of how whatever their dreams are limited to. And if I had to tell my younger self, I'd say, girl, you're on the right path, you're fine. Listen to yourself, you're going to get there. They don't know yet. That kind of shit is like, it's it's that vibe, I guess. But it also helps with, I think it's been a huge, it, it's played an integral part in my being an independent artist because then seeking for things that are diet, like are specific to what you now have learned to do that you know you need also for your brand. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the and, thing is you also work with such a wide variety of people. Like it's like, <laughs> you know, you say for your brand, but 
you know, like mm-hmm. you've done stuff even just recently with uh, Stiff Pup. And then I saw there was mm-hmm. a track with Boiti. I saw, <laughs> what else? obviously, Gorillaz. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's the, so that's like a wide variety. And I mean, I uh-huh. love your stuff personally with Marumza. Mm-hmm. You know, that's some of my favorite Ooh, that's work my of yours. Thank you. Yeah. So, so like, but that's the thing. You, you know, it's such a wide variety of people that mm-hmm. you work with. And like... How how do you bring like your energy to all these different kinds of projects, and how do you pick who you work with, or do they approach you? Yeah. Is it you know is it a thing um, that you're worried about when you're working with people, or are you pretty open to things? No, so um, I mean, wh- working with people is like my thing, 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 right? Um, it was definitely yeah. um, my strategy for breaking into the commercial market in South Africa as well, and I do choose um, if someone likes me and I don't vibe with them, I don't do anything. I don't do favor features. Um, I just do vibes I vibe or people that have the money to pay, but it still needs to be a vibe. So, um, I mean, I don't, features are literally my language of breaking into different territories. So that stuff, I don't stop. And going back to when I was saying, um, having to find a mic and perform in, in every and any stage, lying about what genre it is that you do, because you're going to do whatever it is that's there. I think what, what has remained my constant is what I stand for and also my voice. I've got a very special voice. I mean, even Beyonce said, I've got the best ad libs in the world. So that's one of the mm-hmm. things. And it's so funny how you like growing up, you're just like, oh my God, this voice is so annoying. And you don't know it's actually your cash because it's the one thing that differentiates you from anyone else without even using words. So I don't, I, I worry about, I don't, I don't, I worry about who's next basically, maybe because I just, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't have to bother. I don't have to, I mean, most of the time I'm saving songs because I'm really good. I can record a hit on a metronome. And this comes from years of experience. That's why I can go in studio and make a song in 30 minutes because I've had to lie and come with things on the spot and all the collection of those years and that struggle are now what's paying me the most now. So I'm actually very grateful for how my lessons pre- I mean, came, came, came about. You know, They came through the hustle. They, came, they took longer with authenticity and what I stand for. They took longer with the understanding. But moral of the story is that we're here now and it's getting there. It's going to take time, but it's getting there. It's not the same as when I started. Now I am a part of, I mean, it's so crazy how I've always used the same content, but now for people to receive and accept me because they do dance to the music, but they wish they didn't like me, but it's sad they do. So now (laughs) to like me, they have to connect it to Megan the Stallion who just came. When Nicki Minaj came and had that content with the colorful hair, I'd been like that for at least seven years, but until her, because I was misunderstood, then now suddenly you're like, you're you're, you're minus of that girl, Nicki. And I'm like, but I was, you're you're calling me weird when I was myself. Not because there's an American doing that. Not because there's WAP. I I mean, that song that got taken down from radio initially was, not even derogatory was just body parts no. not even derogatory like the biological terms in both have you dealt with that have any yes, of your songs yes. been censored yeah no it, it went back on it went back on with that bullshit censoring but it went back on um other one no man other ones have mm-hmm. made it uh, other ones are just as derogatory direct like direct derogatory i know it's not yeah. gonna go to radio that one i only fought for i don't fight for songs where i know of snack in swearing i know how i am so i don't fight for shit like that because <laughs> it, it, it somehow plays and i don't even know how because i don't pay nobody um i mean i don't pay anyone on radio there's people who have the job to do that um from my team so 
with regards to that specific one, for me, that one was more important, was the most important in that time because people are going through so much. Excuse me. <clears throat> people are going through so much. There's depression. People don't get help without um, without being on lockdown. Now it's even worse in there. There's people who don't even know their own diagnosis. There's people who are just like suffering and going through the most and then watching these people that are still living perfect lives in their homes. And it was just like just making them feel good about themselves because the thing is it's about self-acceptance first before anyone else accepts you before any other you know what i mean so my biggest thing was i think this song is something that needs to be heard by people that are going through the most by women who don't need to feel pressure to be perfect right now because they're perfect as they are that's my only narrative i'm not shading anyone like there's someone who looks at me as perfection and i've got my own things there's someone else who's envying something else but i just wanted a song that was going to be an, an, an anthem for women to feel good about themselves that's how you're able to say fuck you to a nigga who thinks it's a favor to love you because you love yourself first. So it was it was more about that. And yeah, so we won. And I was actually surprised by the response because social media went back and um, how it trended because that was my honest reaction. It wasn't, PR it wasn't a PR stunt. In fact, it even scared my team more than anything than it was a plan. Because it was just my raw emotion of how I felt and pas how, how passionate I was about the song. Because when I wrote that song, I could see the image of girls dancing to it. I could see the words and the movements to those words and, and the feeling that was attached to that. So now they, no, I just wasn't buying it. So we won though, we won. So that's when South Africa showed me, you know what, actually, you guys are with me, let's go. But it took a while for South Africa to get on your side. <laughs> you know you this, of course you know this. <laughs> Because my normal places would be your Winston. My normal places here would be any place that's got drum and bass or whatever. But when it comes to like South African dance music, I don't exist. I'm on 5FM. You'll never hear me on Metro. It was that. And that time, while that's happening in South Africa, I am overseas doing festivals. And that's I, and there's another thing happening. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a South African thing? Or do like artists overseas suffer from the same thing of not really being appreciated in their hometown essentially because yeah what you do yeah. is so uniquely south african and so when you go overseas they're like wow this is amazing this is right? you know so cool mm. and unique but south africans are less interested until you know overseas is yeah. like yeah this is dope and they then look, they claim you and then they look past everything they said your derogatory your this that time the kids are listening the kids have a voice. The kids are not are, are walking away from boyfriends that beat them because you're never going to have that conversation in your house, but you don't want Moonchild to play. Fortunately, we've got streams. Kids are like finding the things they want to listen to. But I feel like we still are conservative. There's definitely that. 1994 is a number and it's years, but mentally there's a lot of lifetime um, things that have been broken. So now if you've been brought up by a grandmother who used to have a Donbass, what kind of freedom do you think they're going to instill in you outside of just respecting white people, finding a job and settling in life don't make noise or whatever do you know what i mean because you also had different yeah. people there if like my mother for instance she also has parents that were in the political situations but they were teachers they were with the politicians do you know what she got from that freedom so that's why she could instill that in me but there's so many other parents who probably look at her like she's fucked up there's so many other parents who probably look at me as fucked up but the change comes from the ones that open with their children and show them the possibilities and that there's actually no limit 100 fucking percent it's very scary when we've chosen to hide things we'd rather teach our kids about the anatomy and biology class because we're not involved that we ask questions on uh how how did how was i conceived or how i mean when did you lose your virginity just little normal conversations of where you can communicate with your parents without them shouting at you about and scaring you off sex when I now mean, you know you're gonna go in the streets now and you're gonna you. get wrong information 
Yeah, like it was only in high school that I learned that there were two holes on a on a woman. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and it's, it's and it's normal. Do you know what I mean? Because now, who are you gonna ask? How are you you finding out in high school now? Yeah, I mean, my mom yeah. was open with me to quite a large extent, but like I'd never thought to ask, to be honest. Like how many? <laughs> like I, <laughs> but I mean, you can't ask about something you know nothing about. If you knew there was a possibility, you would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and that's why like, I love what you do with that in that you are so open about sex education. Like on the, your ti- yeah. on the timeline today, you know, you were busy <laughs> schooling people on condom use and just mm-hmm. sex in general. And you do that almost every day and you do that in your music. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like I really do love and respect about you because I do think mm-hmm. it's important for us to push things forward. And yeah, yeah like, I, I don't really know. I don't have a question yet. It's just one of those things that, yeah, it's one of those things mm-hmm. I definitely respect you for. But how have yes, you dealt uh, with, I guess, yeah, the question is, how have you dealt with the criticism from everyone? Like, because it, I think that's probably the thing people go at you the most for yeah. is your openness about sex. How do I deal with it? I, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I teach if it's derogatory. I, it depends on if it's derogatory from ignorance, if it's derogatory intentionally. So I'll read, and I don't block a lot, but I've like today I just blocked because it was just like derogatory to a point where um, now I know how to troll SA men. I can trend for trolling <laughs> with a hashtag of something that's coming out. Because if I, and then and then I fuck with them because they'll go off like, we're going to delete you, I'm like, go. And then I trap, I fuck with them, I put a twerking video. Immediately after, the numbers are there. Just because I don't see the likes, I see the numbers of the views. They're still there. I'm just like, you guys are so easy. Because everything for you is about defense. So this also shows me that this is not even a personal thing. It's the fact that for as long as you say men are trash, the trash is only going to defend itself. And there's so much more trash because I will trend for calling men trash. And men are livid. And I trend for that. There's so much more trash than good guys because I won't trend for calling them out and other men saying, yes, she's right. And then now it comes to this part. Now, for instance, like, it's like, okay, cool. So I still have their attention, right? And obviously the next progression for me is sex toys. It's like, okay, cool. So now because you called me a slut in a hole, let me sell you a pocket pussy and a picture of me so you can rank to me. Now I will never know you. You can talk all your shit, but you're still paying me when you talk about me so it's like all of them i still like research all of them i still are still content all of them uh they can make money you can make money from all of them so as long as you've got their attention it's like what can i sell to you or you disrespect me i call let me give you pocket pussy with a poster of my face you can imagine me great because you already do (laughs) oh man i as i said i love you like this is just (laughs) uh fantastic no i that's the thing. I enjoy watching it. I will. I won't yeah. lie. Sometimes I do feel a little uncomfortable, but most of the time <laughs> I'm just like, "You go, girl." But that's the thing. You like it's good. It's also good to make people feel uncomfortable sometimes and yeah. push those boundaries. Because the only like, mm-hmm. I was gonna say one thing. I like on your Wikipedia that's not confirmed, and I know you spoke about doing it. I don't know if you have. Uh-huh. Did you start a club? Oh my God, that rumor. That rumor came based on what they already think of me. They threw sex toy out the window and put, she's not opening a brothel. Attached to Moonchal. Do you know how much I paid for a year because I couldn't find a place? People would Google. They'd find that title and think I'm going to throw sex cl- sex parties at their homes. I literally had to pay for my mouth for a whole year. Because Well, I thought it was just about opening a strip club. But like I, I didn't no. realize people were saying brothel mm-hmm. shit. 
I'm glad because it was oh maybe because it was written in, in, in it was a Zulu publication. Then it I think it was our magazine okay. that translated it and explained. But now these news have already caused like they already like a wildfire. So by the time Al is translating this thing, maybe like a week later, everyone's already ran with that story. And now people are finding out about sex clubs and they're attaching them to brothels because of this journalist who kept insisting about a brothel. I'm like, this is not an exchange of sex and money. Sex, and I'm explaining to him and I'm just like, I want to open this space because every time I've been there, there's not, um, there's not a number of black people, period. There's not people that my age as well. It's like old couples trying to rekindle. And I'm pretty sure there's people like me that want to party in a safe space, want to feel confident in their bodies because no man touches any woman there without permission and women are naked. No one cares about what shape they are. They're just confident and having a good time. No one is violated. No one acts a freak. It's just people that are adults and are, are, are safe because the spaces that are, are, are not taboo which are normal clubs, people get spanked there, people get dragged into cars, people get stolen and spiked there, but it's accepted in society. Yeah. When people are still going in their nipples. But because they don't know about sex clubs and fingers clubs and sex um, spaces, they attach them to fear. And, and then now when a publication comes in with that, now you've got your idea of me. Now parents are already uncomfortable about their children hearing me next to them. And now you're talking, you're attaching brothel and sex work. Okay, already you're just like yeah. it's 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 already it's a build up of what you already thought of me. And it's so hard to correct that record too, like as you were saying, because once that's out there, you know, it's always like the rumor always yeah. goes further than the truth. I know, and but I'm, I'm still answering this question and explaining. So it makes so much more sense when I explain, and it's fine for me because it means you still have a question for me to understand if you never understood it. But the public definitely ran with that, and I think there's so much more stuff that's happening now, that's making sense of that narrative. For instance, that question I was answering on Twitter, finally, when people are saying, I'm telling people to be sluts, how is it that Love Life that works with Department of Health is now asking me to do the condoms conversation? You know why? Because I'm already open about it. Yes, I've been rejected for it. Now they finally get it. And all of them are slowly getting it because most of the times the brand I work with, the brands I work with, they want edge when they call me. But now I'm glad that the other part of my brand, which is all this liberation, yes, cool, great, owning your body, it also goes with protecting yourself because when you have a voice, you can say, when you open your legs, open your mouth. I always say that. And it's like, oh my God, now NGOs, like um, Love Life is here asking me to do this thing because I'm the one person who speaks about it openly. I'm the one person who's been rejected for it and it's who I am. And therefore, it's just what it is. When it finally makes sense, it does. So slowly, it starts um, making sense because of, the brands that have got to attached to sex. When I release a condom range, it'll be something that's got to do when I, my next is sex toy, when my next is. So from sex education, it's always been that, from sex education into sexual liberation. So we're getting okay, somewhere. In SA, definitely. The world doesn't even question me. They just eat me up. <laughs> One of the things that I find interesting that you kind of brought up was the whole club culture thing versus like a sex club. Yeah. Where clubs are spaces where people go to find people to have sex with. Like, uh -huh. let's be honest. Like, right? a large portion of my 20s, that was the goal. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I wanted to go right. home with a girl. So what is so fucking different about just going to a place where everyone's like, yeah, we want to bang. And you go, yeah. hey, do you want to bang? And someone's like, not really, sorry. And yeah. then you go to the next person, hey, you want to bang? Yeah, cool, there you go, done. Yeah. What, what, why... Do we have to have all the pump and circumstance behind it, like at a regular club? And also, yeah. like you're saying, at regular clubs, there's sexual assault 
way mm-hmm. more than you would ever get like in a sex club space That's because those true. are safe spaces those are spaces the where security. consent is super important yeah and no one just walks in there it's like the security process of you even being a member they have to check you all that jazz so that whole process you obviously also don't want to fuck it up because you wait but you want that freedom and you're not there to violate so people like that don't exist in that space and this is the space that the public actually doesn't know about and maybe it's safer that way but i just needed my community to also be a part of this liberation and just know about it and just so now do you know what i end up doing um when i throw like a party or just like a chill situation i always get like i'll get like a stripper um depending most i'll get male stripper like last pool party i threw i got a male some two male strippers for the girls to be entertained so that they also just like embrace that part and not just think of strip clubs for men and you know so it's 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 always interesting yeah. the guys also get the girls but they, i teach them the etiquette of not touching spank with money and all those things um when i host that stri- at, when i've hosted at strip clubs it's been that thing as well whoever comes with me needs to know the etiquette go get go to the money bank get some tips spank be- with the money don't touch because everyone is here working and it's a shift so respect your wank do not abuse your wank <laughs> and also actually bring uh, your partners along because uh, men have a tendency of not wanting to bring their partners with because it's like oh my wife is at home and my girlfriend's in the streets i'm like girl you nigga you should have your girl as your freak period for this thing to be fun because you're going to forever respect someone meanwhile you don't even know you've decided for your wife but they don't want to go to a strip club they wouldn't be comfortable you decided did you have that conversation no because you don't want to offend them why have that conversation yeah, now you're cheating to so what you you're cheating for pity you're cheating to save the wife no that's bullshit so that's that But, also that part of the culture that's the other part that I'm trying to change as well that, i'm that's changing. what yeah that's what i was about to say that's such a big part of like male culture is you know you have to hate your wife like you you know like, if you like your wife or you like your girlfriend like what is wrong with the, you do you know like, what i mean how can you not have fun but, with your partner it's uh we're yeah like i agree with you there and i'm grateful for my partner because we yeah. are like able to be open and we are able to talk about a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. it's yeah i don't know like i just i feel i feel sorry for people who don't it's and for guys themselves. like this this yeah like i was about to just be like very <laughs> social no well, not social justice warrior but just like nice guy kind of stuff but like Ugh. yeah it's just it does frustrate me when guys don't just you know yeah. like their girlfriends <laughs> just that's a bare minimum do you know what this one time i remember this girl right um at the festival cool great we hung out a bit in joburg things about three years ago so now her boyfriend had taken her to the strip club for the first time and he was excited obviously he took her there for the first time because he always goes with um girls in general so she came back uh, and then i took her to the sex club And she just sat there. She didn't do anything. She just drank. It was interesting, cool, great. She went back to him. And so um she was banned from upset. seeing me. Yes, she was banned from seeing me. The last time the next time I spoke to her she was single because she he banned her because now she went a step further than what he introduced her to. Like, what the fuck? Are you excited she's going to bring you there so you can have fun? So what? You were taking exactly, her there like- to not be open to ch- trying things out on her own? You why? So now niggas out here um, banning their girls. But social yeah, but media is there. They can still find me. Yeah, that's a control issue. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So that means you're like not cool, that... period. Why did you even bother? Yeah, because the whole thing is... But that's also the thing is like liberation from the guy's 
side is also like a power thing sometimes and it's also mm-hmm. a play at times and I know I know from experience so like yeah. it's one of those things like we like I think early on in the journey like of you know learning about feminism and stuff like you kind of do like learn the language ling- mm-hmm. okay so this is awkward I don't really know what happened here um, but my audio disappeared from the next four minutes of this conversation, which was the end of it. And yeah, there were so many problems throughout this recording. You actually probably don't notice it too much because I think I did a good job with the editing. But yeah, I'm sorry. This is not exactly how I wanted it to go. But yeah, we were going to be talking, well, I was bringing up there that I've weaponized you know, feminism in the past early on in the journey and probably a little bit late to do. Um, and yeah, not a good thing, obviously. And then we got into, we were talking about threesomes and stuff like that. And just how guys often wanted to be two girls. And when the roles were reversed, they're not as open to the idea. And I explained that from my side, the way I've felt about it is that, you know, if you see that other dude around, it kind of feels like they've got like this one up on you. Like, you know, they cuckolded you essentially. So, yeah, you know, probably got to get over that at some point, but that's a concern, I guess, <laughs> when it comes to it the other way. It is the male ego thing. Anyway, I do have the last little bit of the conversation still from Moonchild because I did ask her, hey, what do you got coming up? And then she told me that. So that's going to come up right now. Yes, absolutely. So, actually, my blue vinyl just came out on the 26th. So, you can get it online. Um, you can check out my platform. It's there. The link is there to get it. We deliver everywhere in the world. And I'm working on my album now, which is coming out next year. Amazing, amazing features that I'm going to have. And ones I'm already crossing fingers for. And there's something hot and happening that I'm working on. But it's, gonna, it's with a big UK artist as well. And... Um, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's just like chats, chats, chats. I'm working on my album, album, album. We just dropped the song with Boiti and Miss Cosmo. So we're going to be doing that tour. I'm going to be doing a club tour for this song. So I'm just waiting for the dates now. And yeah, basically, it's December. We're getting this check and partying, like, uh, it's our last, uh, before, partying before lockdown, actually. (laughs) Next lockdown.